Hello Modern Mystics! Spells for the Modern Mystic, a ritual guidebook and spellcasting kit, is coming out on September 29th and is available wherever books are sold. Brandon and I have created a book and kit with the essentials for a complete ritual practice, including 25 spells for healing, wealth, love, and personal transformation. It also comes with 11 spell candles, three incense cones, and ritual oil. So you can do all of the rituals in the book with the contents and additional household items. We poured our hearts into the book and shared all of the rituals that I used to help me find my soulmate, Brandon. I used these rituals to open Modern Mystic Shop, to get our dream home, and to quickly raise money to be able to get our inventory for Good Morning America. These rituals have changed our lives and we know they can do the same for you. So please support us by placing a pre-order today and help us get on the best sellers list so we can help impact even more people with these practices. Thanks so much guys. Can you talk to me about the inauguration chart of the different presidential candidates and how that might be giving us some indication of which way the election might go? Is is that possible to do? That is possible to do, yes. Of course, for you, not for your average Joe, but for Carrie. <laughs> I'm actually, so this is how I have come to frame up the way that I'm seeing the election. It's through the inauguration chart. And this is coming from, the big influence for me is coming out of um, the Mountain Astrologer, the June-July issue of this year. This incredible astrologer, let me see, Steve Kinsman has an article, best thing I've, not the best, my favorite thing I've seen in Mountain Astrologer in a long time, where he goes into looking in great detail at the inauguration chart. So he's got the chart pulled for January 20th, 2021. The president begins to be sworn in at high noon and they're done. He says, um, so help me God. At about 12.03. So Steve pulls his chart okay. for 12.03 to get insight into um, what, basically, the, the inauguration, it sets the tone. That chart tells us the tone for the presidency, for the person who's being sworn in at that time. And he does okay. this incredible research. So he has a theory that whoever is sworn in will not complete their term. And he goes back and looks at all of the presidents who have not completed terms, and he okay. looks at um, their inauguration charts for clues about what might indicate that a president will not complete their term. So he goes into looking at the charts of the seven presidents who didn't finish their terms, and it's Harrison died of pneumonia in 1841. Lincoln was assassinated in 1865. Garfield was an assassination 1881. McKinley assassination 1901. Hardy died also. Um, FDR was a stroke in 1940. And then of course Kennedy in 1963. So he saw three things that were present at, present in those inauguration charts that he believes indicate 
a president might not complete their term. So the so all of those charts had either a Jupiter Saturn conjunction. So Jupiter is like the symbol of the king or the queen in the inauguration chart. And Saturn sitting on top of that, ooh, there's a limitation. <laughs> Jupiter is the king and Saturn, ooh, a real limit to the length to the reign would be a way to look at that. The second thing is a void of course moon. So void of course, astrologers have paid attention to void of course moons forever. And what that is, it's when the moon is um, not making any aspects at all in the chart. And it's not going to make an aspect again until it gets into the next sign. So void of course moons, you just don't do anything on a void of course moon because yeah. it's not going to stick anything that is um, started on a void of course moon it's just not going to stick and come to fruition and the third thing was the sun square to Uranus so again the sun is a symbol of the ruler in the chart both Jupiter and the sun and what Uranus brings is sudden shocks upsets changes of fortune so all seven of those presidents who did not complete their term, they either had they had one of those things. None of them had all three. The inauguration chart for January uh, 20th of 2021 has all three of those things. So he goes, so Steve oh, Kinsman wow. in this article predicts that whoever is sworn in um, on January 20th will not complete their term. All three of those things are present. And of course, we have two, um, you know, the two candidates are quite old. They're both in their late 70s, yeah. Biden and Trump. So then he goes on to look at the inauguration chart for um, clues. Because it's, it's, mm -hmm. it also describes what the presidency will be like. It's the chart of the presidency. And yeah. he looks at that chart for clues about who might win. And he looks at a few things. Um, we've got the Sun and Saturn and Jupiter all conjunct in the 10th house in that chart. And the 10th house is administration. So Sun, Saturn, Jupiter, and the chart in the house of administration, it's effective administration is what that is. That's good though. That's good, right? Well, depending if you're where you are, yeah, if you support the president or not, I guess it would depend. That's right. We do want effective administration, don't we? Either way. Um, and with Saturn there in the 10th house, a seriousness toward the responsibilities and the role. And, and you also get kind of a cautious and moderate attitude towards the role and the responsibility and appreciation of the responsibilities with Saturn there. Um, and then there's Venus in the ninth house in this chart. And what does Venus do? It harmonizes. And what is the ninth house? It's the house of foreign affairs and foreign relations. So oh, wow. isn't that lovely? Some harmony on the yeah. international. <laughs> um, yeah. And then this yeah. chart also very sweetly has the moon and Mars also Uranus, in the 12th house. But the moon is nurturance, and Mars is where we exact, exert our will. And the 12th house is the house of the marginalized, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the vulnerable. So 
there's going to be an interest in this administration, in effective government, in um, harmonious foreign affairs, and in care for the most, in caring for the most vulnerable people in our population. And as Steve points out, that doesn't sound like the current administration. So he looks at the chart and says it really looks like a democratic win. And then he goes into saying, and if he's correct that um, the president will not serve out their term, the vice president becomes very important. Um, so, yes. so whoever is going to be the vice president becomes very important. And I will tell you that um, as an astrologer, sometimes I someone will book a reading with me and I'm freaked out before I get on the phone with them because their chart says power, power, power. And I am intimidated before I've said the word hello um, because they're obviously <laughs> such a powerful per It happens a couple of times a year. Kamala has one of those charts. Her chart is straight through. It is not the chart of a vice president. It is the chart of a president. Um, it is not the chart of a number two. So one of my friends on the West Coast, after it was announced that she was the president, I was asleep, and the West Coast friend sent me um, her chart and said, what do you think about this chart? And I started to text back, I think she's going to make a fine president. But then it was in text, and I didn't want to explain all of the reasons that I just see her as the president. Um, wow. So the and the president for the actual president for this term, if Steve Kinsman's theory is correct, that whoever is inaugurated will not serve out their term. Is there anything in his hypothesis that indicates where along this timeline the president may not complete his term? Is there, does it say he's like a quick in and out or is it almost to completion or does it not say? He doesn't say, and I didn't look for that, but that would be a fun thing for another. Yeah. Maybe maybe around the inauguration we can look for that. That would be a fun thing to look for. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So all of that, and you guys can read this article. The, the um, I think it might be available online now. I looked for it before and it was not, but the, the new issue of this magazine is out and the old articles usually become available. It's Mountain Astrologer. So so that chart is framing up the way that I'm seeing the election. Um, and I'm really, you know, that's that's really something to put out there that that's his, his theory and he backs it up with all of this hard research. I love it. Um, but we can also look to the transits of the various candidates and kind of get a sense of who it looks like comes out on top. Do you want to take a look at that? Yeah, please. I'm dying to know. <laughs> so I'm pulling it up. All right. So I have Trump's transits for election day pulled up in front of me. And I want to start by saying just one okay. quick thing about his natal chart, and you guys can look up. There is so much written on Donald Trump's natal chart. You can look up stuff on this <laughs> ad nauseum. But there is one thing that is of particular interest to me, and that's it's that he is born on a lunar eclipse. And he is born on a particularly erratic 
lunar eclipse. So eclipses happen when the sun and the moon line up with the nodal axis. And what happens during a lunar eclipse? The sun or the moon goes away and it comes back, right? So in ancient astrology, this was thought to be a bad omen. The moon represents the past in astrology. And yeah, in astrology, and the sun is the future, the moon is the parents, the sun is the child. So when you have an eclipse, the old omen around eclipses used to be the king must die. Eclipses were thought to indicate the fall of dynasties. So that's interesting. It's it's not seen as a particularly... Um, great omen in a chart. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am also born on a lunar eclipse, but Donald Trump's eclipse is particularly erratic and unstable. It's not a real stable energy because the moon goes away. Um, but his chart, that's turned up several notches because he has the planet Uranus sitting on top of his sun and opposing his moon on the total axis. The erratic behavior, the, um, yeah, erratic is a really, Uranus is a very erratic planet. It brings sudden shocks and upsets. And it's sudden shocks and upsets in the way that he presents himself publicly. On the one hand, the Uranus, the planet of shock, awe, upset, it's feeding into his moon and stirring up his emotions constantly. And then he gets on the public stage and gives this big display of his kind of inner struggle to maintain emotional balance and harmony, right? So that's one of the yeah. most fascinating things that I find in his natal chart, just to give you a, a quickie. Yeah, well, what's also interesting with that upset is that even how he came onto the scene for most liberal-minded people was sort of like a shock and an upset, right? I think many of us, I mean, we, at least for me, I went to bed thinking there was going to be one outcome, and then you wake up to the unthinkable, right? So even mm -hmm. how he kind of stepped into his leadership position has that kind of emotional energy to it. Yeah, and coming down the escalator when he first announced his candidacy. Like, this is just not how it's done. It's erratic. It's um, yeah. it's 10 different directions at once. It's the presidency of shock and awe and upset. That is him on the world stage. Um, so, you know, the astrology says it. It's, it's plain. It's right there. And then if we look at his transits for Election Day, for those of you who don't know, on, let me pull that up. Transits are the way that a person's natal chart interacts with the current astrological alignments to create what's happening at any given moment. So Trump's election day transits, it's telling you what's going to happen with him on that day. So interestingly, Where's the really big one I wanted to talk about? Neptune. He's got Neptune problems right now. And Neptune. I don't those, know, what does that mean? <laughs> Neptune is the planet that dissolves everything that it touches. And he has got, so Neptune by transit, it just dissolves. It dissolves. It dissolves. It, what, what was defined and boundaried before Neptune came on the scene, Neptune touches it and it just turns it to ether. 
And Neptune is squaring or it's in a hard 90 degree aspect to Donald Trump's natal son. So what what that brings is um, his personal power, his ambition, his his son is in the 10th house. That is him as an administrator, him as a leader, him as the wise elder. And Neptune is just dissolving, dissolving, dissolving his 10th house. And interestingly, it's coming through the seventh house. Neptune is going through his seventh house of partnership. So think about the way that some of his partnerships are dissolving right now. He has just pissed off the military and the generals and military families that would usually be uh, are often, you know, th those folks tend to lean Republican when you piss them all off by saying that their lives <laughs> are not worth honoring. Mm, that's some major dissolving of boundaries or major dissolving of partnerships, right? So Neptune is Chips, going through yeah. his seventh house of partnerships. And it's like there's a hole there. People who used to back him don't back him anymore. And that in turn is undermining his role on the national and global stage, his son in the 10th house, Oh, wow. And it's also touching his moon in the fourth house. It's, we, you know, there's been a lot of talk about him with possibly having dementia. Neptune is the planet of dementia. It is touching both his sun, which is his identity, and his moon, which is the way that he's wired internally. Um, that's a very, conf that's confused. It's confusing. It's unwell. And it is not strong going into um, going into a re-election. So that Neptune square his nodal axis was the thing that I really honed in on right away looking at his transits. I'm curious also, just personally, I've been curious about whether his, what will happen to his marriage after, like, should he not win re-election? Would the chart indicate with that dissolving of relationships, could that also be personal relationships? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Neptune yeah. in the seventh house is a Neptune transiting the seventh house is something that we commonly see for divorces. And he also has that Neptune squaring his person, his moon, which is the wife yeah. in the chart. So yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And the moon is also is the moon also the home because that could also be transitioning. I mean, if you're leaving the White House, like you're literally leaving your home. Yes, Kelly. Good one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's the moon is the home, but his moon is in his fourth house of the home. So it's dissolving um, Neptune. Mm. What it's doing, it's dissolving old allyships, old partnerships, literally the home. And that's so good. If he were to lose, he would be moving. And that is, um, <laughs> and it would be moving under Neptunian kind of circumstances where Neptune has come in and just washed that, that the last four years away, the home, him on the world stage with that son in the 10th house. Yes, that's an excellent tie-in. And you probably didn't pull this, but maybe for our next next journey with this, 
Oh my gosh, I totally forgot my question. Oh, is there any indication as to like, should he lose in these sort of the way that the astrology is looking, if he will leave peacefully? Because I know that's on a lot of people's minds If there's going to be like Neptune actually sounds nice to me because it sounds like a dissolving, right? So like, let's just say he loses the election, we find out around election day, I am also planning to not know the next day because of all the mail in. Does Neptune have that kind of like, going into the night quietly energy or can you see if there might be like some fight about that you know what neptune brings as far as um so you said neptune sounds kind of nice it's a gentle fading away you know what neptune is it's lies it's deception it's smoke and mirrors um all all planets have a high side and a low a lower frequency expression. So you know what I would really look at for the terms of leaving? I would look at Mars. And Mars by transit is opposing his natal Jupiter. And that is explosive. So Jupiter, that's him as the king. And Mars is the planet of the warrior. And incidentally, we're going to talk about this in a minute. Um, Mars is going to be retrograde on election day. And that's just shenanigans. It's, mm, and it's retrograde in his eighth house. You know what the eighth house is? That's organized crime. That's the shadow of the psyche. The eighth house is where organized crime lives. It's the, the cycle, the shadow, our shadow, the stuff that we want to keep hidden. It's a house that has secrets. It's a house that, knows how to work um, power behind the scenes to bring about what we want in terms of outcome. It's about power and misguided use of power. He's got Mars going retrograde in his eighth house opposing his natal Jupiter. And Mars, Jupiter, him as king. I kind of like just putting it that way. And Mars is throwing fuel onto that fire. Very interesting. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about Trump before we move into Biden's chart? Um, let me see. Let's just mention that on election day, Uranus, the planet of shocks and awe and sudden changes, is going to be squaring his Pluto. And that is just like kapow. Pluto is where he has held on to Pluto is power. And Uranus brings sudden at upsets right so it's kind of the power that he's held on to and Uranus just going blowing it up um those are the main ones that I'm looking at Neptune is is a debilitating kind of planet and having that square his sun and his moon he's just not looking real strong on election day so let's just say this you're not prepared for this question so we can skip it but what came to mind is Let's just say we were looking for evidence that he was going to win. <laughs> is there anything indicating anything positive in this transit? Or is it just like looking like defeat no matter which, you know, because you can kind of like look through different lenses just to be a little more neutral. I'm just curious if there's anything that looks promising um, for for Trump. Well, I am obviously quite biased, but I don't see any. <laughs> okay, it's he's got enough. a lot I just of. Wanted to throw that out there. 
He's got a lot of squares. He's got a lot of oppositions. He's got a lot of lunacy going on in these transits. He does not look okay. strong. Um, but in the interest of full disclosure, I thought Hillary was going to win four years ago. I was sure of it. So, <laughs> Were you sure of it based on the astrology or were you sure of it just based on your... But were you, did you look at the astrology for Hillary or was that just your preference? So I haven't looked at Hillary's astrology in a while. Um, and actually, Hillary did let win the popular vote. Let's remember that. So it was shenanigans that got Trump in. But, you know, Hillary had a weakness. And I don't remember quite the way that it lined up. But she had a lot of hard stuff going on in her 12th house of hidden enemies. And it looked like she could have a defeat coming through hidden enemies coming out of the woodwork. And if we remember the build up to that election, the the news cycle where Comey decided to go back in on investigating her. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. So, you know, kind of the stuff that happened at the end, calling question on her, um, just bringing up all the email stuff right at the end. Sure. The hidden enemy stuff, I think, got her yeah. in the end. Yeah. Um, and that was present in the chart. It was also present in the chart. It just looked kind of close. Both of their transits looked strong. Um, and I'll also say electionist people – people get really into election astrology and it is a major, major specialty. So I thought, yeah, it's interesting. I was sure that Hillary was going to win, but, <laughs> and she did. Right. So I, I just want to put that out and there. You won the popular vote, so until we have a different way of counting. <laughs> until we have a different, she until we not. have a different way of counting. So if we look at Biden, um, yeah, you want to look yeah. at Biden's charts? Biden gets really interesting. So we've got this Jupiter, Saturn, and um, Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto triple conjunction in Capricorn. So remember when we just looked at Trump's chart and we looked at how Neptune is dissolving, dissolving, dissolving the sun in his chart for election mm -hmm. day, causing yes. trouble. Well, Conversely, Biden's son or his identity is being fed or supported by Jupiter, which is just blows things up and brings blessing by Pluto, which is the planet that has to do with transformation and power and what a transformation it would be to win a presidency. One day you're not the president and the next day you are pretty big sure. transformation and his Saturn, which brings manifestation. All three of those planets are in sextile to his son, which brings help and blessing. It's a harmonious flow. Um, so that one right there is pretty big on his son. And then those three planets okay. are also um, in opposition to his natal Jupiter. Natal Jupiter, that's Biden as king. And he's got those three planets on the one hand blessing his son. Oppositions are considered, quote unquote, hard aspects. But I don't know. It's got the blessing on the sun, right? It's it's Jupiter. It's blowing his identity up. Pluto bringing in power. Saturn manifestation. 
But those three planets are sitting opposite his natal Jupiter, which is him as king. And oppositions can kind of feed through dynamic tension. On the one hand, they can, th they can feed through dynamic tension. So seen as a hard aspect, I think that we're getting, but it can also blow the planet at the other end up and make it larger than life with Jupiter and feed it. Um, through the through the dynamic tension, and it's kind of like, uh, and his Jupiter is in the eighth house of power of transformation. So it's it's this this balance between self and others, my values, the values of the country in this state in this case. Um, I'm I'm seeing that one as a as a positive one for Biden as well. Um, did you look at his birth chart like you did with Kamala? And I'm wondering, you know how you were so impressed with how powerful her birth chart was? Was there anything of note that would indicate this sort of presidential potential for Biden in his in his natal chart? Looking at Biden's chart, it's not that it's not a, a powerful chart. Kamala's is just exceptionally powerful, right? Probably. Yeah, and when right. I when I have clients coming in, I'm reading a lot of people a year. There are maybe four people a year who I'm scared to get on the phone with because their chart is so powerful. Biden doesn't have one of those charts. Kamala does. <laughs> yeah. It's but yeah, and you know, I'm just curious to me because I always also had this imagination event in my head where it's like if Biden would have run instead of Hillary, you know, four years ago, maybe he would have been president and, you know things might have been different. So I was wondering if he, but if he doesn't have like that strong chart. Um, <laughs> so he okay. has a super stellium in Scorpio. He's got Venus. Mm. Mm, do you know about that, Kelly? Like me. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his sun, which is his identity, his Venus, which is the, which is the way that he harmonizes with other people, his Mercury, the way that he thinks, the way that his mind works in Mars, all in Scorpio. And where are they? They're in the 12th house. The 12th house has to do with institutions and being a part of an institution and institutional power and personal identity kind of being dissolved in order to be aligned with the institution. So he's someone who really, in Scorpio, is power. So, and how to work the system, how to work behind the scenes and bring about desired outcomes. This is someone who understands um, innately how to use the system and how to use the, the, the system that is there to bring about desired outcome. And now that you tell, you're telling me all this stuff about Scorpio related to Biden, he's had so much death in his life. Like he's had so much death. You know, and I feel like I'm as a Scorpio with lots of Scorpio in my chart in my younger years in particular, I had so many people around me die. Um, and that seems sort of like a trend also when you have heavy Scorpio potentially in your chart. Yes, and he has it in the 12th house, which is the 8th house is traditionally the house of death, but the 12th house also has to do with death and endings. And he's got... Um, all of yeah. that going on in his 12th house. So he's a, he's a, he's a heavy hitter. Scorpio is one of, 
it's arguably the heaviest hitter by sign. And in terms of the way that it desires and utilizes power, a big piece of Scorpio is power and learning how to yeah. use one's personal power. Um, so he's, so that alone is very powerful. Oh, interesting. <laughs> he's, that is interesting. He's got, um, and then his Jupiter is in the, is in the eighth house, which is another power kind of signature. Um, Interestingly, he has Neptune in the 10th house. Neptune in the 10th house is a bit of a martyr on the public stage. And it's interesting, you know, the way that Biden's, the tragedy with his wife and daughter, I believe that happened before he was sworn in following his first election. And that become became part of his story, right? So Neptune in the 10th house in Joe Biden's chart, we have a signature for someone who is seen um, a bit as, you know, that's, that's a kind of martyrdom, someone who really loves the the country, the world, um, and is willing to make tremendous personal sacrifices on behalf of the the interest of all. Some might say that him even running is part of that personal loss or putting himself out there. I mean, I, I would think that potentially if we were, if he didn't perceive us to be in these dire straits, maybe he wouldn't have stepped up to the plate this time even just running is kind of like a martyr position especially since you're saying the astrology looks like he won't finish out the term that's what the astrology looks like so i'm gonna pull up i had this up and i right. took it down because when i get too many charts it's confusing so i am pulling up the relationship chart between biden and kamala so mm -hmm. hang on just a second and we can see so you were asking before we had a little blip, you were asking about maybe he wouldn't have even run if we weren't in the dire straits that we're in. And when I look at their synastry chart, I see that. Um, so, so synastry for you guys who don't know, that's a relationship between two people. Oh gosh, this one is so interesting. It really looks like, oh, it gives me chills. It really looks like um, there's an agreement to pass the torch. Um, it so so. Let me see. I've got Biden on the inside. Kamala's Jupiter is opposed Biden's Sun, his Venus, and his Mercury. That's her as Queen um, in dynamic tension with him. Mm -hmm as king and it really looks and and his jupiter is in sextile to her jupiter that's him feeding her that's him passing the torch that's him lifting her up making her larger larger in life giving her a turn letting her in um there, i saw all kinds of stuff that looked like torch passing interestingly i anytime i T-squares are common in charts. It's when you get an opposition plus two squares. And at the top is the apex point, right? It looks like this in a chart. So Biden's Jupiter is in a T-square. This is so cool to her sun, 
and her moon. So that's him as king in a dynamic tension to the way that her identity is shaped up and being formed. And incidentally, her Mercury is sitting on top of her sun. That's her as a, she's showing up as a younger person than him with her Mercury on her sun. Mercury is a youth when we're reading for karma. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Jupiter, his Jupiter is also squaring her moon. So there's dynamic tension between her two lights, her sun, her identity, and who she is on the inside. And Joe's chart is just blowing her up, like from that apex point, and wanting to send her on her way. And anytime you get a T-square, there's a release valve in it. And it's the opposite of the of the apex point. So Joe's Jupiter is the apex point, right? That's where all of the tension is. Joe's Jupiter is in Cancer. That is so loving, so devoted, so nurturing. That's actually Joe as, as he's the king, but it's in the sign of the mother. Very nurturing embodiment of what it is to be king. And then it's so it's touching her sun and her moon, blowing her up, making her larger in life. And then the place that it points is leading Kamala to Capricorn. That's her, her as the head of state, her as the head of the system, her standing on her own two feet, her as the wise leader. So it really, oh, it gives me chills. It gives me chills. And her, and these two have got karmic contacts. They've known each other before. They've got a soul agreement to help. The place that we see karma in sinistry, there are places. Um, so we see karma when we've got nodal axes talking to each other. We, we see karma in Pluto contacts. We see karma in Saturn contacts and in the moon. Their moons are conjunct, are sitting on top of each other. Joe's moon and Kamala, they both have an Aries moon. So that is the sign of the warrior, someone who is willing to fight for what they believe in, right? And then, interestingly, Joe's moon is in sextile to Kamala's Saturn. So that, again, is a harmonious nurturing flow of energy, where it's it really is Joe as more of the the motherly figure in the way that the loving is is it's nurturing it's helping someone grow yeah. it's planting them and tending to them and it's her Saturn that's her as the authority figure as the more powerful one that's her actually as the father and her Saturn is sitting on Joe's south node it's like she's come. She's come to 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 take to take the the reign, you know. She's she's the next in line. She's come to live into his legacy with her Saturn on his south node, and it's karmic. There's a karmic agreement between two souls. It's sweet sinistry. Well, the next time we get together, maybe or not the next time, but after the election, and should this take place, I would really love to dive more into Kamala's chart. Um, to see her reelection possibilities because there's, as a woman, I would love to see a woman in the White House, but I would really love to see a woman elected into the White House as opposed to sort of inheriting 
um, that position. So I'd be curious to see. It sounds like she's got a very powerful chart that she could earn the spot in a different way in the future. Kamala has something that I've only seen one time ever in a chart. Mm. And she has a Star of David. She has two grand trines, so two triangle formations that make a Star of David. That, I've only seen it one other time. It is so rock solid. Um, Just the... Think about the geometry if you're picturing a star of David and how each of the points have so much support. It's perfectly symmetrical. Each of the tips of the star is supported by a triangle. That's what her chart looks like. It's rock solid, stable mentally in terms of the way that she thinks, the way that she presents, the way that she is wired emotionally. Rock solid solid, stable. I had this in one client one time and this person, we worked together a few times and this client was deep. This client was self-aware. This client was in tune with the needs of their community. I could not find the major malfunction in this client and it took me But, you know, in talking to an astrologer, interested in integrating their story, interested in personal growth, and there was a lot there that this person was aware of and working on, but they just had this this integration psychologically, emotionally, spiritual in terms of their perception with their role in the world that was unshakable. This client was so incredible. And I had never seen a Star of David. So it wasn't until I was prepping for the second time I talked to them. I was like, what is this? You know, oh my gosh. It's and then I looked it up. Sure enough, it's a rare chart formation. So Kamala has that. Oh, wow. Yep. It's so cool. Um, is there anything else you want to discuss regarding the candidates? Because I would like to discuss with you a little bit about this Mars in retrograde. I believe that's what you were talking about the last time. But I, I, and this is very fascinating. So if you have more to share about this stuff, I would love to hear it. Or we can move on. Okay. So the last time we talked, I was telling you that um, 2020 has three phases to it. There was the Saturn-Pluto conjunction that happened in January. We did a recording on that, um, the, the astrology of 2020. That's what we were talking about. And that's the one where we get the systems breakdown. It's with that conjunction. And then there was the social justice piece as Saturn went into Aquarius. And there's this awakening of the masses. Their hearts are turned on fire. The focus of really it was much more than George Floyd and our country. There were global unrest, global um, uprisings, global fights for justice. In our country, it was about race. And then, so that's the second phase. And today we're getting into the third phase of the big transits for 2020. And what it is, is that Mars is turning retrograde later tonight. And Mars is in Aries, its own sign. Each sign has a planet that carries its energy. So from today until February, I'm sorry, November 13th, Mars is going to be retrograde in Aries. Mars is, um, Aries is the sign of the warrior. Mars is action oriented. It's the, it's the planet of the warrior, the god of war. Um, and when we get Mars retrograde, 
it's it's like the action just goes a little bit haywire. So expect in the collective with Mars retrograde to see um, it's like a really halting kind of forward motion. So you what did you say? I'm expecting delays in the election because of um, all of the mail-in ballots. Yeah, Mars brings delays. It brings setbacks. It brings um, frustration. So there's this energy um, in the in the collective of things just not moving forward, kind of being in a holding pattern. One of the things that can happen is um, action going awry. Um, so like suppressed maybe desires coming out sideways in, in underhanded kind of shenanigans. And that's what's going to be happening during the, um, during the election. Huge potential for, it does look like it could be explosive, you know, on the, yeah. on the more challenging end. It, it could just be setbacks, delays, um, they're not a clear forward path, a lot of kind of um, two steps forward, one step, step back. And it's very unusual to have Mars retrograde in its own sign, Aries. I don't recall when the last time this happened, um, but Mars goes retrograde about every two years, it's extremely rare for it to go retrograde in its own sign. So it's turned up several notches. Would you say that based on what you just said, that it we should manage our expectations to potentially not get election results until after this retrograde in Mars has, has lightened up? Would that be something to set your expectations in that way? I would absolutely set your expectations that way. And you don't need, you don't need, you know, an astrologer to tell you that because it's what all of the policy, you know, the, the scholars, um, political scholars and thinkers are saying, we just have, we have got extraordinary circumstances. This go around, um, with more people voting by mail, by mail with the, um, head of the federal government trying to undermine the post office. Um, Also, the head of the federal government encouraging his followers to vote twice. I mean, it's you kind of all of that is Mars retrograde energy, you know, the 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 underhanded backward, the the action is coming out really sideways and crooked. So Expect more of that. And yes, temper your expectations. Mars, once it goes direct on November 13th, it's going to be in what's referred to as its shadow. So when Mars is retrograde, it's going back over territory that it's already covered. It's going backwards in the chart. When it goes direct on November 13th, it's going to be covering, right? It's going forward now. But Mars has already been over a lot of that territory that it will be now that it will now be moving direct over, right? It it went direct, it went backwards, now it's going forward over the same old territory. And the new phase of um forward motion doesn't really start until January 5th 
And that's when Uh Mars gets out of its shadow. So I'm telling my clients, it's okay for you to not really have a strong sense of where you want your forward motion to be right now. That's not what this time is about. This time is about going inside. It's about reviewing where we've been this year. It's about, you know, thinking about the way that the world has changed and life has changed and how do I want to exert my will in the future? What do I even want now in this, in this new world? And how do I adjust my life in order to get what I want in this rapidly changing world? So Mars retrograde in our individual lives, it's a time for reflection a time for review, a time for taking account. We don't really get into new territory until January 5th. Your question was, should we temper our expectations about knowing the outcome of the election while Mars is retrograde? Yes, I would say so. Um, And I think perhaps things will clear up and start to feel different after Mars is out of its shadow on January 5th. In time for inauguration. <laughs> and then you were also mentioning before that, um, or you were mentioning to me, Mercury is also in retrograde. So we've got this double retrograde on election day. How do you expect that to be impacting the election? You know what? It's kind of like uh, Rick Levine will get into the astrologer I love, and he does his monthly forecast. And when he gets into seeing these things that it's like, are you, are you kidding me? He's like, this is just, you can't make this shit up. You cannot make this shit up. It's <laughs> Mercury retrograde on election day. Mercury is our communication, the way that we talk, our thinking, our um, mental processes. It's also things going back and forth, like the mail. It's also that it's a back and forth kind of Mercury is the messenger. So back and forth kind of energy and Mercury going retrograde. You know, if people know nothing about astrology, they usually know what Mercury retrograde means. (laughs) And that's a time when things go awry. They go awry because Mercury is the fastest moving planet. The retrograde happens when Mercury is closest to Earth. So it really kind of shorts out the nervous system of our planet when Mercury goes retrograde because it's so close. And again, Mercury is our thinking. Mercury is the nervous system. So we it's kind of like a car slamming on its brakes when Mercury goes retrograde. And the, the place that it comes out is with thinking, communication, analysis, back and forth, um, Little accidents will happen during Mercury retrograde. Uh, I remember I had this really rough Mercury retrograde. It was over my moon. You know, sometimes a, a Mercury retrograde might seem to pass us by. Sometimes it pre- it's hitting our charts in a way that it's like such a whammy. I had this one Mercury retrograde where I lost my keys. I was working at the hospital. I lost my keys in a hospital, kind of a nightmare. Um, And then I got to my car and dropped my computer like three times. I never dropped my computer before the same afternoon. But it's just kind of the our thinking processes get turned up so loud that things short out. So this is election season in the collective. 
Um, and I believe that this Mercury is square the United States Mercury, natal Mercury. So it's kind of like the thinking and the communication around this election just being overstimulated and shorted out. And we can look at the coverage of the election prior to Mercury going retrograde. You know, that happens on October 15th, but we can we can get a feel for this now. The mer- it, it, right. It's a little bit nuts to follow it. It's too much. It's overstimulating. Right. So, and mer- shenanigans with election fraud is an awesome um, correlate or it, it, it works for Mercury right. retrograde. Listening to what you're saying, what I would suggest is that people have like three backup plans on voting. I think if you are hell bent on voting and having your voice heard, I would recommend mail in ballot, but then also, you know, maybe knowing where you can vote early. And then third, like last resort might be standing in line on election day. So for all of us that want to participate in this cycle uh, this year, I, I'm planning, I'm planning for everything to go wrong because even if your a polling place is completely by the book and everything is fine, you are likely to lose your keys, you know, maybe get an offender bender on the way. Like there are things that can disrupt your process of even getting to the polls. So this is a really important thing to do. So I would say take this information and this is how we can apply it. Like the practical magic of it is like, do your shit early. Like Cross all of your T's. Make sure you sign. If you're doing mail-in, make sure you don't forget to sign it. Make sure the signature looks like the signature on your license. Like, pay extra close attention uh, so that you can participate and that you can compensate for the energies that might be inhibiting your your personal way to vote. And do it before October 15th, if at all possible. Hi, it's Kelly. As much as I pride myself in being a mystic, I take equal pride in being an entrepreneur, and I love to share how I blended both worlds to create the incredible Modern Mystic brand. So I'm so excited to announce that I am co-hosting the Guided by Intuition Gathering, a virtual event for creative business owners with woo-woo vibes with one of my business besties, Emily Thompson of Being Boss. This virtual event is October 8th through 10th. We are bringing together a top tier of talented business owners who bring their powerful metaphysical tools to the table and are eager to share their tips, tactics, and techniques of growing a business with intuition guiding the way. We're spending three days focusing on aligning your intuition and heart so that you can use it to guide your business towards your highest purpose. We will be hosting panels, keynotes, workshops, and live podcast recordings. Plus, there's the Being Boss promise of actionable steps, practical advice, and results-driven guidance. And there's a whole tribe of bosses. They're just there ready to connect, dive deep, and do the work. Sounds great, right? It gets even better. A select number of VIPs get access to the whole gathering, plus an all-day masterminding session on Monday with me and Emily. We will add our magic to what you've got going on to help accelerate and inspire. If this is up your alley, hit the link in the show notes to join us 
These are truly skills that all business owners will need to hone to thrive in the new age. I hope to see you there. So Mercury goes retrograde on October 15th. It stays retrograde until um, November 4th, which is the day after the election. It goes direct, but it's not out of its shadow until November 21st. So don't really expect the big switch to happen on November 4th when Mercury goes direct because we're going back over old territory until okay. November 21st. November 21st, I think would be interesting to watch as a time that potential election issues might get resolved in the event that there are okay. election issues. So I am watching with curiosity um, November yes. 21st and January 5th. So you guys watch it with me with curiosity and we'll see if if things go awry, if those time frames give us a bit more clarity, maybe, maybe yeah. phased clarity. In around November 21st and another phase of clarity around January 5th. Now, I remember that the nodes switched back in May. And uh, is that significant still as far as the collective during the election cycle? I love that question. I've been thinking about it a lot. So back in May, I think that it's significant with the wound in the collective psyche at the moment. So the south node in the chart indicates where we're coming from and what we're trying to work out um, in terms of our past life karma. And when the south node, and right now the south node is in Sagittarius, like you said, it went into Sagittarius in late May. It's going to be there for about a year from May. Um, we're working out collective issues with our belief systems. So this is very interesting to have happening during this election cycle. Are, you know, it's not hard for me to look at some issues that we've got collectively with our belief systems. When we're talking about the South Node, we're talking about the shadow. The shadow of Sagittarius is when my personal truth becomes the objective truth that I am judging everyone else by. It's like, I have got the truth and you have got to kind of bow down to sure. to to the truth that I hold. I've got the only truth. It's zealotry. And we are in a phase, and we can see this very easily in our country, where our politics have been elevated to the place of religion. And it's kind of like... Um, what you know, Romeo and Juliet couldn't date because they were opposite religions. Well, this is what we have with Sagittarius. Do is it's kind of hard to be friends with folks on the other team at the moment, which is heartbreaking to me. There's a fracture in the collective psyche around belief systems. So the North Node holds the medicine and the healing that is indicated that the wound of the South Node needs. And where's the North Node? It's in Gemini. Gemini? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They're always directly opposite. So when 
when we get the shadow side of Sagittarius expressing, Gemini is where we go for our healing. When we've got the shadow of Gemini expressing, Sagittarius is where we go for our healing. So the particular way that it's working right now, um, there's this wound around belief systems, this wound around my philosophy has become my religion, and we're all zealots around this stuff. The North Node in Gemini holds the medicine. Gemini is about perception. And I I love the North Node in Gemini. I explain it as like, you know, Sagittarius is really hard. It just, it knows the truth. And in Gemini, there, there we get this curiosity. Truth becomes um, something subjective again. And there is joy and there is delight in seeing, <gasps> You do it this way. You do it that way. The Hindu Hindus think this. The Christians think this. The whoever thinks this. And I can see, I can feel that it's all true. We're able yeah. in Gemini. The glyph or the symbol for Gemini is the Roman numeral two. It's the sign of the twins. Gemini is able to hold two thoughts at the same time, Gemini is able to change the channel with its thoughts. Gemini is our thinking. Right? Sagittarius is where we process the thinking and we put it together into a philosophy. Gemini is the joy of taking it in. And there's a way that when the North Node is, on, is in Gemini, really what it's about is standing on the very edge of perception and delighting indifference, delighting, it, it almost elevating us to an altered state even of just the sheer joy of taking it in. It's the breakup of all of that idolatry of the South yeah. Node in Sagittarius. So I'm just putting this out there to say the North Node in, in Gemini is leading us home. It's medicine for the collective. It's realizing that I don't that there is no objective reality. There yeah. is no objective reality. Um, I have a piece of the truth and so does everyone else. Now, as I say that, I'm not suggesting that the racist person has a piece of the truth and so does the person of color who's being persecuted. I, I you know, we've, we have to nu nuance this. We have issues of our time that really need to be loved and tended to. Well, North Node and Gemini would really be about, you know, a willingness to take in the other person's point of view. So yeah. I, I find it very interesting that we have um, the emphasis on sure. Sagittarius and Gemini during this election season. Incidentally, Donald Trump, Kamala Harris, and the U.S. natal chart all have a their nodal axis in Sagittarius and Gemini. Oh, wow. It's, it's really validating to hear you discuss that and kind of remembering that because I would say during this time, personally, I've been really stretching my neutrality muscle. And it's like what you're saying, holding multiple, often opposing truths at the same time. And it's actually very fulfilling to get in that balance point, you know, when you realize you're not actually being agitated. <laughs> yes, yes. And when we say that, I'm not bypassing the hard work of the moment, you know, with really right. the social justice stuff. This is sure. this is a piece of um, 
uh, I think that that Gemini is brothers and sisters. Gemini is brothers and sisters. So brotherhood, sisterhood, you know, is a piece of this North Node in Gemini. But to get to brotherhood, sisterhood, we have to be able to take in another person's point of view and be in the joy, the joy of difference. Mm, so that's lovely that's lovely that's where the medicine is for sure so so we've talked private privately and i guess maybe even publicly about this aquarian age and moving into this aquarian age so how does this election fit into that outcome the outcome of this election fit into that and we're in it though, right? Like we're in the Aquarian age, but we're in sort of like the beginning throes of it, so to speak. So yeah, how does the election or does the election tie into that? I really see it as tying into it. So first, so we were coming out of the Piscean age and the, the Piscean age was from roughly zero AD to the year 2000. There's always some debate about when exactly does the Aquarian age start? It starts gradually um, and it's about 2000 years. It's hard to pinpoint this is the day. And there, there are a lot of different ways to render a chart. There's, you can pull it in tropical, you can pull it in sidereal. There's, there's just some debate about when we're really in it, but we're in it. We're in, it is the early kind of transitional phase. So the Piscean age, what's Pisces about? The first 2,000 years of this millennium. Pisces is about nation states. Pisces is about um, letting go of my individual identity, dissolve and dissolving it into something greater than me. So we have the rise of nation states during the Piscean age. I I'm an American and I am a Methodist and I am a, and on and on and on. These labels that we would attract, you know, attach to ourselves. That is Piscean, Piscean. Um, and even the, the, the way that, um, if we want to like twist around the shadow side, okay, we're, so we're dissolving down and becoming in, um, becoming a part of a nation state in the Piscean age. And a piece of that is conquest and cart and conquering, you know, um, the, the shadow side of Neptune is the planet that rules Pisces. And I've already mentioned Neptune is martyrdom. So going on a conquest and being willing to be martyred and perhaps to kill others in the interest or my perceived interest of my nation state, willing to do things that it just looks different when I'm so like maybe unethical, but when I'm a part, but when it's for my country, you know, like there's this distorted view around nation state building. So we switch into Aquarius. Aquarius is very different. Aquarius is about us as individuals. So we're breaking out of the, oh, I'm an American. I'm with this religious organization. And instead of looking for something solid to believe in on the outside, something to attach myself for identity, no more dumbing, I don't want to use the word dumbing down, no more um, dissolving myself down to become a part of something greater. It's really about finding, um, finding it within ourselves. 
and each of us being our own personal authority and really actualizing our personal power and realizing our personal truth. So, so Pisces, we're, we're kind of merged with the state and Aquarius breaks out of that. We've talked before about how um, in our previous podcast, the time that is coming, we're going to see less emphasis on the federal government in the future. It's going to be more about local and state um, governance. And the individuals are going to be more responsible for um, getting their, you know, the, the federal government provided us with some security we could count on it the federal government to provide us with things that we needed and in the future that's going to come through my connection with my community um, it's going to be more individual based so how do I see this I see this election as a huge pivot with transitioning into the Aquarian age and I want to pull up the astrology real quick there's a chart if i still have it pulled up um while you pull that up um a follow-up just observation when you talk about piscean to aquarian and the dissolving of rigid identities we've also seen that when it comes to gender identification sexual orientation um which i think has been a real highlight of of, and I, I think it's a good example of how we're seeing the acceptance of the collective around um, blending or erasing boundaries and, and identifications. Yeah, so so in, in the Piscean age, the piece where I was pointing out the erasure of boundaries, it was between me as an individual and the nation state or the religion mm-hmm. or the... Even even the pride folks had with their employers, and I'm going to stick with this employer for my whole career, and I'm going to get a pension, and I am a company man, part of this company. Yeah. All of that is gone. So in the Aquarian age, it's more us as individuals, and Aquarius is futuristic. Aquarius is humanitarian. Aquarius wants equality, and Aquarius is unconventional and Aquarius is weird. And when I say weird, I'm saying it playfully because I don't want to judge. And and Aquarius is not judgmental. It's not judgmental. But it's a time when there is some some breakdown of of the perhaps the confines, you know, can you imagine being trans around 1900 and your soul just dying because what it because you just cannot be yourself um so in the aquarian age there is more room for difference it's about us as individuals and there's this huge queering of the rules and the structure and the order of pisces when there was an outer authority telling me the rules that I needed to live by. Um, and it's just, yeah, we're going to mess all that up. Like you can, we're not, don't put those rules on us anymore. And absolutely you see this with um, fluidity and gender um, and fluidity and sexual orientation. This is a primary example of the way that um, the Aquarian age is being embodied 
primary example. It's unconventional. Yeah. It breaks the rules. It celebrates breaking the rules. There's room for everyone. Celebrates difference. So when we talk about this election and moving into the Aquarian age, what when we so if we look right now at the where the outer planets are, the outer planets are the ones that tell us they describe the epic that we're in. And what the outer planets are telling us by their placement is that we are in, at a closing of an old age. We have got, and, and we see that because they're largely in the last three um, signs of the zodiac. So we've got Pluto in Capricorn along with, with Saturn is kind of the bridge to being an outer planet. And Jupiter is there. We're just going to throw him in there too. So, ooh, Capricorn, the sign of the patriarchy. We've got huge deconstruction going on with the patriarchy. Close of a cycle. We have... Um, We've got Saturn moving into Aquarius, awakening. Aquarius is the, the sign that correlates to the populace, to the people, to the future. Saturn brings manifestation. It holds karma. It's kind of awakening the consciousness of the people, taking us into a new age. And then we have Neptune in Pisces, Closing Pisces is the last sign of the zodiac. Neptune naturally lives there, and that's a major, major phase closing of Pisces. Interestingly, Uranus is our exception. Uranus is in Taurus, and what does Uranus do in Taurus? It slams down the established order and the orthodoxy, and it's just kind of like dropping a bomb on the orthodoxy, the established order. But when you've got, so Uranus is the planet that's already made it around to a new cycle. Taurus is just the second sign in the zodiac. So what we're getting from the, the placement of the outer planets are telling us we're in a major phase closing. And when we look at it through those eyes, it's easy to see. So this election is really a pivot point into a different kind of age. Uh, summer of 2025 is very interesting. Summer of 2025, we have all of those planets in new signs. So all of the outer planets, we're going to have Pluto at two degrees of Aquarius. We've got Neptune at two degrees of Aries with Saturn. Um, we've got Uranus at zero degrees of Gemini. Now this is kind of weird to see all of the outer planets switching signs at the same time, all moving into new territory at exactly the same time. Jupiter is even there too in Cancer, early degree Cancer. So what this is basically saying is that we're building towards something that we're really going to see birthed in about five years. It's a whole new order. Getting there is going to be, and you know, it's going to be a wild ride to get there, but there yeah. is something very new coming in. And this um, administration, I think, is really going to embody that. The future is humanitarian. The future is humanitarian. We can get really distracted 
And this goes along with South Node and Sagittarius, with what the news is telling us. I mean, it's brainwashing and, and enculturating the population. It's keeping us divided against ourselves and trying really hard to convince ourselves that their storyline is the storyline. Well, meanwhile, globally, we've got... Um, it's not just the United States. We've got global fascism on the rise at the same time that earth changes are leading to like major movement of populations. Places are becoming rapidly uninhabitable. We've got people moving. We're dealing with natural disasters, you know, around the world. And I think that moving into the future, it's not going to be so much nation building anymore. That's been the, that was the interest of the first 2000 years, but deeply humanitarian. So humanitarian is one way we could go. We could also go into eco-fascism where we say, the problem here, like the environment is degrading and that has economic impacts um, and we can blame it on that other, that brown other from Mexico, you know, in the United States that gets played up a lot. Uh, or we, we have a decision to make. How are we going to do this? How are we going to assuage the suffering in our world? The Aquarian age, Aquarius is all about knowing that what is in my best interest is in the best interest of all people. No, and Aquarius is able to see way out into the future and know what is in the best interest of all. So I think that we've got an administration, just like we looked at Biden's chart, passing the torch to Kamala. Uh, we are going to have an administration that really moves us solidly from the the way that we've done nation state building and war to solidify our power in the past, moving more into a future that answers the 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 mm, the need of the people in a very different way. Um, yeah. And it's going to be necessary. It's going to be necessary. So I see um, humanitarianism as a huge part of where we're headed as a focus for our country and this administration leading us into that. I'm not going to say that this is true, but I will say I've been having dreams and sort of premonitions regarding a more global affiliation as opposed to countries like and like a world government. Do you know what I mean? Like where, um, and I don't know if that will happen in my lifetime, but I've had dreams about that and, and kind of what that would feel like and um, in the Aquarian age. But we have 2,000 years to get there, right? <laughs> Until we move into another one. I think that, yes, we do have 2,000 years to get there, but I think that we're really getting into it now and that it's speeding yeah. up. The breakdown of the old is speeding up, and that mm -hmm. makes room for the birth of the new. We have to have something new come in because the old is it's atrophied and it's broken, and something has to come in and meet yeah. the, the need of our time. So, so yeah, I think this right. this election is going to be huge with ushering in the Aquarian age. Very cool. How can people find you if they love your work and they want to work with you one-on-one -on -one or they want to learn more from you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Folks can find me at starcrow.com. I do natal chart readings. I do transits. And I'm very excited to start a group where um, it's like 
a storytelling group. So I'm going to take about six people and we're going to learn astrology by listen. Everybody has a night. Folks will tell the story of their life for about 30 minutes. And then we're going to look at their astrology. This is how I learned astrology. It's by studying charts. So I'm getting ready to do my first mentor group, but people can find me at starcrow.com. And if they're interested in studying with me, they can just shoot me an email when I get about six students. I'll be launching that. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. That sounds like a very, very good way to learn. And that's how I learned tarot too. It's sort of like, what are, what's the story of the cards? You know, everything is, all of these sort of um, esoteric languages, I guess, they're there to tell the story of humanity, you know? And my closing thought, Kelly, that I fumbled on um, is just that we are going to see an evolution in human consciousness. It's my... That's my my big theme that I work from. Yeah. We are going to see a major shift in our understanding of who we are as human beings and our understanding of what the other is um, here in the very near term. And what that looks like is realizing our capacity to love and the power of our love to create a different world. It might not look like that right out there right now, but this is where I believe that we are headed. Um, Part of the great strife and us in the struggle against the other is trying to come to a point of um, union and elevated consciousness in the way that we relate to each other. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. We'll continue to have these conversations through 2020 and I'm sure beyond that. Uh, You're such an amazing resource for our community and I appreciate you Uh, and your study and your interest in this geopolitical space, because uh, I find that as fascinating as our sort of micro charts and transits. So thanks so much. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.